I guess it was probably about 15 years ago now, not long into my ministry, that I suddenly sat up and noticed something in the events of the passage that we have today. And as I thought of considering the, the wonders and signs that appear in the Gospels, uh, as I was preparing the, this short season uh, that we're having just now, I, I decided that I was going to share with you this passage, this unusual account, where it's a very brief telling of a miracle, but the miracle healing has a twofold message about dedication. But first, let's take me back to what made me sit up and say, what? And I don't know whether you thought that sometime too. It was the underlying reality of what we have in that first verse that Joe read in Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. I suddenly stopped and exclaimed aloud, Peter has a mother-in-law. I guess I wasn't really that long into my own marriage to Emily. We'd been married maybe about three years at that time. Uh, and I had parents-in-law that I'd maybe not really got to grips with the fact that people in the Bible sometimes have mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law. I'd read the passage multiple times before, but this is a reality, isn't it? Peter has a house. He has or had a wife. And his wife had a mother. A widow who lives with him. And yet, and yet, he has packed in his job. He has left the family nets and the family nest to go with Jesus. To travel north and south and east and west across the Holy Land with Jesus. Other than Jesus' own family and his relationship with his cousin, John the Baptist, we don't really encounter the dynamics of the disciples' family life. Yet something is going on here, isn't it? Something important. We don't hear about the other disciples' families, but there's something special here. And the mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. And in the culture of that day... That meant she's untouchable. A few verses earlier, there was another untouchable person. There was a leper. But Jesus reached out and blessed him. And the same happens again here with this woman with a fever. He touches. He heals. But even... There, there is something more that we could think of. 
if we reflect back to the passage that we had last week. If we turn the clock back, we hear that Jesus was getting pleaded by a royal official to go to Capernaum, many miles away, because that person wanted to see healings, a healing within his own family. Well, this week, Jesus is already in Capernaum. That's where Peter's house is. But has Peter begged or even mentioned that he has a family member that is ill? Reading the surrounding text, it it doesn't seem that he has. Jesus enters the home probably to eat a meal, to spend the night. As he says later, foxes have holes, but he has nowhere to lay his head. And it seems that as Jesus goes in, he simply discovers that the mother-in-law is unwell. Peter has spent the day with Jesus. And in that day, he has been like Mary in the story of Mary and Martha. He has been at the Lord's feet. He has been living the life of devotion rather than thinking of earthly ways. He has his priority on the Lord, but yet we might tut and think he's got it wrong. He should have been at home caring for the women. He should have been saying to Jesus, look, just come round to my house now. Bring that healing that you gave to that leper. I need you to bless somebody else. But he hasn't done that. And Jesus does not condemn him for not having done that. He simply walks into the situation and brings healing without asking. The Lord reaches out and brings a restoration in the life of the woman. And she immediately begins to serve. That's the response, isn't it? The response to new hope is devotion. It is a change of priorities. It is choosing now to put the Lord first. Putting the Lord first is not always joining a rota. It's not always committing yourself in the way that others expect. It's not always taking on new church responsibility. Though sometimes it might involve those things. It almost certainly involves self-sacrifice. It involves putting aside what is best for yourself and thinking of the other. The Lord takes our infirmities. He takes our diseases. He takes our struggles, our brokenness, and offers reconciliation. He offers restoration. He offers new life. He takes us from the earthly family into the holy family, where we are brothers and sisters with him. 
and the blood of Jesus becomes rightly thicker than the water of our earthly birth. It is right, therefore, as he gives his life for us, that we give our life, our all, to him. The people that come to Jesus in the second half of the passage seem to be testifying that they are already putting Christ first in their life. They are claiming that they have their priorities right, that they will follow, they will be his people. And as we hear their words, I, I will follow you wherever you go. I hear in the back of my mind that, that line from the story of Ruth, from Ruth chapter 1, how she says to her mother-in-law Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. They are journeying into the unknown. They are heading for poverty when they will eat by gleaning the remnant of the field. But Ruth has said, your God will be my God. There is trust. You know, and there's that sense of trust there. But is that trust in these people? In these people, as they say, they will follow to Jesus. When Jesus says to them, I don't have a place to lay my head, it hints back to that earlier bit in the passage where it starts. We don't know if that teacher of the law, the scribe, chooses to truly follow. That one that comes to him and says, I will follow. Will he really? The second character we often misread, or at least misinterpret the words somewhat. He is not asking about conducting a funeral service. It is understood that he's more likely thinking of caring for his sick father, which is possibly going to be an open-ended commitment. I'll, I'll come, but it's going to take a bit of time, he's saying to Jesus. I'll come when I'm ready. Which is, of course, the opposite of what we saw in Peter at the start of the reading. But there's another interpretation too. It is perhaps this statement about, I'll come when I've buried my father, a statement about waiting for an earthly inheritance. That he will get some riches first. And he's thinking of those earthly riches, the land of the, the wealth that he will get when his father dies. And say, oh yeah, once I've got a bit of money behind me, that's when I'm going to go and follow Jesus. But that's not the plan really to have, is it? That is not following in the way that we are supposed to. Not putting the way of the earth first. So the, 
the verse is, is not as brutal as we might at first think. And we have to be careful about how we read the passage. It's not that we are supposed to neglect our family in pursuit of something of God. Uh, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the thing there, we care for one another in our family, but our priority is to listen for the call of God on our life. We are primarily at the moment a scattered church. But in our dispersed state, or even before that, earlier this year, what was your priority? What was your focus? Were we and are we as a church are people who sought to serve Jesus with our everything, putting him first in our life? Or did we and do we hold back? Say, I'll put my place in order first. I'll sort my affairs out. I'll think of the things that I want to think of. And then when I'm ready, I'll do what Jesus wants. We are more than friends. We are adopted into his family, and we have a part to play in that family. May we give are all for him as he has given for us. Amen.